you're on call with Dr. Dave. Uh, we're speaking with Jimmy. Dr. Jimmy is a internal medicine doctor who then specialized in addiction medicine. So Jimmy, thank you for joining us on the podcast. That's my pleasure. Glad to be here. It's, so it is. we were talking a little before, and we we're talking about just how the stories matter, medicine and physician health matters. And mm -hmm. you especially know that better than anybody being in addiction medicine. Yeah. Now, you were telling me before that you decided to go into addiction medicine based on some personal experiences that drove you toward that field. Yeah. So I just wanted to give you the time and just want to hear your story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's an honor to get to tell this story. And uh, it's always a special thing to share it with uh, healthcare professionals, physicians, and their loved ones. So, so um, uh, this, is a, this is great to be here and to talk about this. Uh, I've been practicing in the field of addiction medicine for most of the last, uh, gosh, almost 15 years now, really since I left residency and training in, <laughs> in, uh, in internal medicine. It was a real 180-degree turn. It was a combination of a lot of things that made me decide to choose this field. But, but obviously, the biggest one was my own personal experience in that, in that I, I, although I was very much a straight arrow as a young person, discovered that um, during the, the difficulty of uh, medical training, and some personal issues I was dealing with at the time, it was some untreated depression that was hard for me to talk about, sort of that, that stigma in healthcare a little bit that you're supposed to be some super person and, uh, and to, to always be strong and always, you know, be somebody that others can rely on, et cetera, et cetera. That made me a little bit hesitant to get the kind of help that I probably needed at the time. I found that I was dealing with uh, a serious drug problem that, that was probably now that I know so much more about addiction was something that I was always very vulnerable to, but because I was such a teetotaler all my life, it really wasn't a great risk, but combining the, uh, the internal struggle that lots of people go through and that I was certainly going through at the time and my access to drugs as a young physician, I uh, very quickly, starting out just trying to use when, when, when I could to help me get through difficult times, to cope with uh, feelings that I wasn't ready to talk about, deal with, deal with personal struggles in a way that I felt, you know, I could still kind of keep them to myself very foolishly. And that just sort of taking uh, on a new life inside of me as, as I, my propensity to, uh, to, to abuse drugs just came to life, uh, uh, really took over very, very quickly. Uh, about halfway through my residency, I had to take a, a pause. And thankfully, my, my program director was, was caring enough and wise enough to see this, realize what was happening, and, and help me and probably save my life pointed me to in the direction of getting treatment. And so residency went on hold. And this was, this was about, this was about halfway through. So it was the very end of uh, 2006. Mm -hmm. And so I hadn't, I don't think I'd met you guys yet. 
took a year off and uh, went into treatment, really focused for a year on my own mental health, my own what what I now know as my recovery, and uh, and and completely sort of changed the way I look at and cope with feelings and um, grew quite a lot. Uh, realized that uh, realized that a lot of my my um, a lot of the same things that motivated me and drove me to want to succeed at at school and become a physician. Those same kinds of things were making me very, very liable and vulnerable to some hardship. And because I, I, I held myself to such high, high standards, such high expectations, was so embarrassed and so uh, unwilling to admit any struggle or vulnerability and, and nearly just crashed and burned. Came back to residency uh, um, uh, you know, really right at the halfway mark after taking a year off and uh, feeling like a totally different person, certainly very humbled um, and, and uh, still had a long way to go as far as my personal growth went, you know, went back to, back to training and was, thank God, allowed back and, mm-hmm. you know, given another chance and, and with a lot of help from other people, including the man who became my, my mentor in the field of addiction medicine. I found my way into uh, into recovery, and as as uh, as is the case in most states, there was a physician health program for doctors, pharmacists, dentists, uh, nurses, even veterinarians, anybody with a drug, alcohol, mental health issue that was making it, you know, that would make it hard for hard for them to practice if they didn't get help. And hard for the state to really feel safe and trust this person if they weren't in some kind of program of treatment and recovery. I was enrolled in one of those programs for about five years. And man, it was tough. It was strict. But it, it really helped. It helped me to uh, take my mental health and my emotional and spiritual health very seriously. And, uh, and it, it made me, of course, when I came back to work, it made me much more aware of how common this disease is, how many people that uh, we treated at our big academic center, how many of them had as their primary illness a substance use disorder as an an addiction problem. Mm -hmm. Something about what the atmosphere at that time sort of uh, impressed me that not only was it, would it be really good for me to try to reach out and help other people, but it was something that someone needed to do. If you can imagine thinking about the opioid crisis that, that we've been dealing with you know, across the country, it really took shape. It really started when I was a medical student, you know, 1999-2000. Uh, we, uh, we were really being brainwashed, indoctrinated into the idea that, that we should be prescribing opioids left and right and, and, and that we should not allow a person to suffer any kind of pain. That was very much the standard. You know, when I started residency, right about 2008, 2009, when I was finishing up at, at, uh, at, in my residency program, that was when we were just beginning to see that there was something going on out there that was not good. You know, that the levels of opioid abuse, the numbers of overdose deaths were really creeping up. At this point, overdose deaths had probably quadrupled, 
basically increased by 400% between about 2000 and 2008. And so, um, you know, I really got the feeling that, that this was an important thing. I didn't know how you made a career in this. My, my dream at that point was just to get a job at some place like Betty Ford or something and just be their staff doctor. To me, that would, that would have been my, my dream come true. And so I had to have day jobs. I, you know, I did other things while I sort of set off looking for work in the field of addiction and uh, got some help from some people who, who um, certainly knew that there was a big need out there. I found it wasn't difficult to find work in the field, but I sort of had to um, learn on the go and learn from others who were, who were doing it. A lot of, a lot of psychiatry. It's funny, when I was in medical school, everybody used to joke, or they would, they would sort of joke, but sort of forget uh, and assume that I was going into psychiatry, even though I never, <laughs> never wanted to. I never would admit that that it, that it fascinated me. But uh, but sure enough, I, I became about the most psychiatrically oriented internist you could imagine. So learned about a lot of that stuff, worked all over the place, found that there was this desperate need out there for physicians to be involved. And all the while, this opiate problem was becoming a bigger and bigger issue to the point where I had, at one point, I had a, a sort of a, a community-based clinic where I was treating young, mostly young people, and um, at ages 18 to 25. And these were folks who were mostly uninsured, and, and it, was kind of a, it was kind of a labor of love and payment when, when, I, when we could get it there was a time where I was losing a patient every week. You know, was a, there was a patient dying every week. It was a right around 2011, 2012. And so it, it struck me that, you know, this is just definitely, I was in, I was doing the right thing, but that something was very wrong about the way we were doing it. That our approach as a, as a medical system was just woefully inadequate. And I already knew that, you know, I had been in a, tertiary care center, academic center, where we had so much as far as resources, so much knowledge, so many good doctors. And uh, we were great at doing just about everything except dealing with a lot of these folks' underlying problems, behavioral health problems. And, um, and so, you know, I, I came to conclude that, that some, there needed to be some changes in the way we approached addiction. And I really wanted to see it I wanted to see it addressed and handled like a disease, like we deal with other diseases, disease states, where it was a lot easier for people to reach out and get help, where the people who delivered help would be sort of oriented and, and trained like physicians are, thinking like physicians do, uh, taking, taking on the care of our patients trying to be creative and do different things if we needed to, to get better results and ended up launching the program that I I'm currently, you know, running and building today. You know, we've been doing that now since about uh, 2015. Recovery has always been something for the people that, that I work with and my patients and others, something I'm very, very open about, but it's always really, really cool to uh, to get to talk to my fellow, one of my favorite things about this job is to talk to my fellow physicians and healthcare professionals about 
about addiction and about what we do, about how our system has really not made it very easy for my colleagues of all stripes to be able to do anything about the addiction they come across, mm -hmm. to be able to help the patients that, that they see and who are struggling or likely struggling with drugs or alcohol. And so here in, back here, uh, you know, in, in Virginia, I am very much involved in promoting the idea of creating a connection between addiction medicine and the rest of mainstream healthcare. And um, I'm actually now serving on what's called the Virginia Opioid Abatement Authority. I was, I was appointed by the governor to, uh, to help decide what Virginia will do with the millions of dollars it was awarded by the multi-state settlement against mm -hmm. yeah. Purdue Pharma and Janssen. And, right. and, um, and so it's exciting that I've, you know, I, I set out to do this as a job because I, I really just felt this. I had been helped by other doctors who were in recovery from addiction. I wanted to help others. I knew that there was a need. Didn't know what the field would end up looking like. And, and uh, now I find myself really deeply, deeply involved, not only in delivering care and, and uh, running a, a system of care for people with addiction, but also getting involved with state policy and uh, changing the way insurers uh, look at, payers look at um, addiction, change the way my friends and colleagues and the rest of mainstream healthcare look at and deal with addiction to try to make it a lot easier for people to get help and get better. And it's unfortunately the addiction issue, especially the opiate issue, uh, issue has only gotten worse since I, since I really decided to go into, to really put all of my heart into mm -hmm. this. But I think we are finally beginning to, we're finally beginning to uh, understand the level at which we need to address and fight fight back against addiction and uh, how seriously we need to take it, how much we need more research, better understanding, uh, a deeper commitment to mm -hmm. helping people to get more people into treatment. One of the most shocking things about addiction that I learned along the way was that only about one in 10, only about 10% of those who have the illness actually end up getting treatment. And so it's, if that was, that was true in ophthalmology or cardiology, <laughs> it would just be a national crisis. Yeah. But in addiction, that's just been the way it is for the last, you know, 50 years. And, uh, and so trying to change that is, is really kind of my, my mission. Mm -hmm. Along the way, I've been able to, uh, I've always emphasized in our practice and in all the work that I do, uh, how important it is though, also in particular, since this is kind of a, kind of a doctor, doctor podcast mm -hmm. to help other physicians and healthcare professionals who are struggling with, um, substance use disorder. Cause obviously number one, there's an enormous stigma, yeah. you know, associated, uh, which is one of the reasons that I think substance use disorder is um, so common among healthcare professionals in the, in the general public. It's a disease that has an incidence of about 9% of the general public struggle with some kind of addictive issue. But among doctors and nurses, it's about 14%. So it's much, much more common among our colleagues. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's hard for them. It's hard for so many of them to get help uh, because 
it's just so stigmatized. Uh, the, the, the assumption is always that if I come forward and ask for help, um, I'm going to lose my, my career that means so much to me. I would rather just suffer and struggle on my own. And I think that that is also one of the reasons why the suicide rate is so high among physicians and, uh, and particularly among female physicians is uh, because these issues, you know, so many of our colleagues feel like they have to struggle and suffer from them by themselves without, without admitting and without coming forward and asking for help. And so a big part of our practice actually now is to work with that same physician health program that I mentioned, the state-run uh -huh. state physician health program. Uh, we, we treat a lot of their patients and develop programs specifically for other healthcare professionals. And, and so that's probably one of the most rewarding parts of my job because I've certainly, I've been there, you know, where they are, they are sitting on my chair in my office, terrified, you know, tears in their eyes and feeling awful. And I'm able to say to them, Hey, you know what? I, I've actually been in that chair that, you know, sort of metaphorically speaking and really, you know, almost literally, I've been right where you are and you're going to be okay. So, so it's a great, a great thing that, that we get to do. It, I, I agree. And I couldn't agree more with what you said. 14% even seems a little low from what I've seen mm. from some of my colleagues. I, you know, some people overuse substances to the point where maybe it's not a true addiction, but even the overuse of substances right. is really common in the medical field. And I remember way back at the beginning of medical school, we got sat down and we were told how calm this was and we should definitely come forward and there's programs to help us. But yeah. just so you know, it may affect your future ability to practice. And it was said in the right. same sentence, basically, right. and they're trying to give us the information, but I looked around the room and all of us really thinking, why would we ever tell on ourselves if it's going <laughs> exactly. to keep us from practicing? And so it, it was unclear even back then how much you could divulge, what kind of programs were there for you. And then yeah. if you did have a problem with addiction, would you be able to practice? Would you be, right. you know, like blocked from getting a medical license? And even on every right. medical license, I've been licensed in multiple states. They always ask if you've ever been treated yeah. for an addiction. So yeah. every time you go to get licensed anywhere, that has to come up. So even if you're struggling with it and nobody knows yet, you know that's going to come up on the paperwork yeah. the moment you decide to deal with it. So I just think every yeah. career has this. No, nobody wants to admit to an addiction. It, no. It's going to affect your life. It's going to affect your career. It's going to affect the relationships with families. I do believe it's a little heightened in the medical profession. I do mm -hmm. believe it's also heightened because we deal with trauma. Like you said, yes. you didn't start abusing substances until you were in medical school and started residency we, mm -hmm. We're not really equipped. We think we are. Mm -hmm. We're not really equipped to handle the emotional trauma that comes with seeing patients die for treating people, mm -hmm. even the bad side of medicine where we get verbally or physically abused sometimes by patients. We're not ready for that. There's no way to really train somebody to deal with that level of trauma. And then we're just supposed to just go along with it. And we don't know who to talk to. And there's not this mental health push. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been difficult to watch people struggle. And even with me, like I didn't know who to talk to or who to talk to about right. the stress. And even if you want to talk to your program director in residency, same mm. thing. Like, well, how does this affect my career? Who's going to know? Is this getting written down? Does this go to future jobs? So it's just, it's difficult to even know how to open up. 
yeah. and you layer that with, like you said, when we were training, opioids were pushed. I was in that transition zone where right. I started medical school. We were told we were bad physicians if our patients were in pain. You yeah. are un if your patient's in pain, you are not adequately treating them and you're a bad doctor and pain is the fifth vital sign. And right. then I finished medical school, it started residency. That's when they first started saying, well, you know, like watch how many you're, let's admit, <laughs> or it's okay to have some pain um, as, as yeah. all those things have happened. So it, it's just a very difficult thing. So I just applaud you for one, being vulnerable enough to talk about it because it's hard enough to talk in private about this, let alone to patients, other physicians on mm -hmm. the podcast. So I appreciate your vulnerability and being willing to talk about it. And also your commitment to helping other people. That's, that's amazing as well. So I appreciate all the work you're doing for just regular patients, physician patients, yeah. your community, your state. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. I think Dave. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing that a big part of recovering from addiction is coming to realize number one, you know, it really is a disease. It's a disease of the brain, and it it, it, ha it you end up doing things in addiction that you wouldn't normally do, mm -hmm. uh, and that you need to heal. And that the amazing thing is that part of that healing is is realizing that you can be vulnerable. Yeah, and you can. Yeah, you can open up and and talk about where you have struggled, where you've been hurt, where you uh, need other people. And, um, by doing that, you, you make yourself available to be healed. And, uh, so, so for me, I found early on, I did, I, you know, that I think about it though, it was not that it took me a little while to really get comfortable with this. It wasn't right away. It took a little while, but, um, but fairly early on within a few years when I really began to kind of get my to get a strong recovery foundation. I found that by opening up and talking to people about my struggle, that I was greatly helped. And not only were the people I was talking to really touched, but I, I felt more understood. I felt like, I felt like I was really, uh, you know, growing emotionally by doing that. And uh, it's a little bit of a controversy in my field, not a, not a uh, controversy, maybe that's not the right, the right word, but it was a little bit of a difference in opinion about whether or not professionals in the addiction field should ever reveal their own, mm -hmm. their own history, their own recovery, their own struggle. Because mm -hmm. I guess that about 50% of the professionals that I know in the field of addiction treatment are, are actually in recovery like, like me. And and some feel like it's it's important not to talk about yourself because the it should be about the patient number one, and uh, it's important to maintain your role as the doctor as the provider of care. But I I found and maybe it was a little bit on accident, but that my patients, certain ones in particular, were really really helped when I told them my story. Usually I tried to choose the right moment and in the right way. But that, but that sometimes me telling my patient or the, the friend that I was trying to, trying to help through a crisis, that I had been through it too, was the most powerful thing that I, I did in, or, in order to help them along their way, to make them feel a lot less 
a lot less, you know, ashamed. Mm-hmm. I make them feel a lot more hopeful because they can they can see that hey, this this guy who's in a position to help me who has been able to continue as a physician and maintain his license and all of that. He's he was he was dealing with this too. He got through it. Mm-hmm. He recovered and now he's in a position of helping other people. And so yeah, it's something I I I feel really good about. Um I love the I love the every opportunity that I get to do that. And um especially like I said, especially when I'm helping somebody else uh, somebody else who who's who's a, a you know a physician perhaps mm-hmm. early in their career not always <laughs> you know I've, I've treated doctors and surgeons of all ages of all, all different disciplines and uh, really been impressed by some of the people that I've known who struggle with this illness who in every other way are are really my you know I look up to and admire they're my they're my mm-hmm. sort of my superior in a lot of ways but who need help with yeah. this part of this part of their life. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's such a pleasure to be able to open up with them and show them that it's okay, yeah. you know, to be vulnerable. And, and I hope that, I hope that the next generation of, of physicians has a little bit of an easier time than, than uh, even our, our generation has had with, with recognizing when they need help and being able to ask for it and, and realizing that, that it's not going to end their careers. And you know, hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll be treated well. I think it's getting a lot better. As you've said, if we want to treat this like a disease, if we want to treat this as physicians and as doctors and treat it like a disease, there can't be a stigma attached to it. Right. If you were a doctor that had a gallbladder and you had cholecystitis and you had your gallbladder removed and you were a doctor that takes out gallbladders and you told the patient, oh, I've been there. I know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you through it. That's fine. You wouldn't hide any of your medical no. history from somebody. Like if you had diabetes and your patient had diabetes, you wouldn't hide that and say, oh, well, I don't want to tell them about my diabetic <laughs> problems. Yeah. It'd be very, very helpful to talk about the diabetes. So if you're really there to help people and removing the stigma, you should be totally okay saying this is what I've dealt with. And this is how I dealt with it. And these are the tools that I can teach you. Yeah. And so I think that's powerful that you can share that with people. And I think it it's is. the stigma that keeps us from even wanting our patients to know about that stuff. Yeah, so much. And, so and it's much. also just one of the things that people are, we're all a lot of things, but you don't have to put addict in front of everything. You know, right. I'm an addicted doctor. I'm an addicted dad. No, you just happen to be, I'm a dad, right. I'm a doctor. I'm in recovery. I like to snowboard. I, right. It's just one of the things that make us all interesting. It's a collective mm-hmm. of our life experience and what makes us who we are. But I definitely mm-hmm. agree that the more open that people can be and share in a vulnerable space, the more prescriptive to me it feels. It mm-hmm. feels like the, I this is what my patient needs. I mm-hmm. have it to give to them. Why wouldn't I give it? Let's do it. Yeah, I feel the same way. I felt like uh, I I can't I can't deny it to them. I know it will help, and so and it and it almost always does. It's yeah, it's, it's the exact opposite of what you fear. What um, what you go in being afraid will isolate you to admit you have flaws, mm-hmm. 
comes to actually bond you to other people. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how we make friends. Really. That's how we become closest to share our humanity, uh, with each other and share our weaknesses. And by doing that, we become emotionally connected. We become bonded. Yeah. We really don't make friends by impressing people. No. <laughs> by, by, by showing them how awesome you are and how you good you each are. Other, so by impressing each other. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really work. I think that was a, that was an important lesson for me to learn, actually. And I think a lot of other physicians are this way. Not all, but you know, we're we're kind of high achievers. We um, we 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 push ourselves hard. We feel like we need to be the best and, and that makes it more difficult for us sometimes to, to, to admit that, no, I, I, I'm good at this. Yes. yes. I'm smart. <laughs> I work hard, but I, I have weaknesses. I have, I need help. Sometimes I have, uh, I have flaws and, and so that's, you know, that's something I, I hope becomes easier for other physicians to do and mm -hmm. starting with starting with when they're young and when they're in training i hope that um you know it's it's a ch i hope there's that change in the culture i hope uh, so try to contribute to it wherever i can and this kind of gives me a it gives me a way to do that it's been exciting to see how the younger when i when i was in school and in residency there was addiction medicine was just not a thing that anybody thought about Nowadays, there's uh, in the same places where we train. There's there's interest groups, clubs. There there are uh, fellowship programs, and there's there's a lot more uh, awareness of this among our our younger colleagues. And it, it makes you it makes you assume or you hope that it also that that you know that interest and that understanding applies to them themselves yeah. as well. Because. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of us out there who are suffering. I agree. Now, yeah. this is one of our, not like necessarily that it's a heavy conversation, but it's a definitely mm. a serious conversation toward mm. the end of the, to the, to the episode, any humorous stories, like anything kind of like to lighten up, to finish on just looking back <laughs> at the career addiction medicine as well, I'm sure comes with really funny moments too, where um, you just find yourself in situations you wouldn't expect, or the patient says something that's just so off the wall. Anything come to mind just uh, from your history with that? It doesn't even have to be addiction medicine, but just you know, from your time as a doctor. I've had people tell me everything from, okay, so I so I treat some people with opiate use disorder. I treat them with Suboxone, right? Mm -hmm. Treat them with Suboxone. One guy keeps coming back, and he's testing positive for heroin. And, you know, hey, why are you testing positive? I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay, you know, let's do this test and see if you're clean. Oh, there's heroin in there. Sure enough, golly, I have no idea. Only thing I take is my, my Suboxone. So I, I really, I never taken heroin. Oh, here's an idea. So I only take the Suboxone, but I do crush it up and snort it. <laughs> and when I crush it up and snort it, I have this one particular straw that I like to use when I crush it up and snort it. And that straw, I used to use that straw when I was using heroin I would snort it. And so when I snort <laughs> the boxone that you prescribed for me, it might have some heroin on the inside of the straw. That's why you're getting positive heroin on the test. It's not because I'm doing anything wrong. <laughs> I happen to have some heroin on the inside of the straw that I still use to snort my suboxone. 
I've had, I've had that, I've had that as an excuse. I've had people say, like I had one guy tell me that he had, he had Valium in his urine because he was out of his thyroid medicine and he had to get thyroid medicine from his mom and he had to pour the thyroid medicine straight from her bottle into his bottle. And he thinks that she probably mixed in some Valium into her thyroid medicine <laughs> when he poured it into his thyroid medicine <laughs> bottle and then took it out and took it. He didn't realize that it was Valium. It's not thyroid medicine. It's a very believable story. <laughs> it got mixed in his mom's thyroid medicine. It's like, should your mom be here too if she's mixing Valium and thyroid medicine? Maybe she should be in the program too. Is, is there any kind of um, organization or group of people that are raising awareness that people could donate to or spread word about? Yeah. So let me think. The the biggest the biggest general our our American Heart Association is. Um, the is ASAM, the American Society for Addiction Medicine. Okay. And they do a lot of good things, but there's a lot of there's a lot of smaller ones that have a lot more to do with with you know just helping addicts directly. Um one of them is called Faces and Voices of Recovery. Mm-hmm. It's a program that tries to tries to specifically fight stigma and to help to help promote accurate and healthy portrayals of addicts in media and to and to kind of develop the ability of people with addictions to represent themselves well and talk openly about their recoveries. Mm-hmm. I really like that organization. It's called Faces and Voices of Recovery. Those are both really okay. good. ASAM, Faces and Voices. I think a lot of people can connect with the story of addiction. I don't think there's probably anybody in the United States now that doesn't have a loved one or themselves that have struggled with addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of as more people talk about the addiction in their own families, others feel a little more comfortable about talking about theirs too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it turns out that we, we all do. We all have loved ones, somebody, you know, somebody close that struggled with this because it's really common. And even if we don't know somebody super close to us who's had addiction, most of us struggle with some sort of unhealthy coping mechanisms in our life. Sure, And it just, you can kind of relate to people Mm-hmm. where you realize that there are things that I do in my life that are uh, undermining the person I want to be or my values yeah. or, or goals I have. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's universal. I think every yeah. one of us. Oh yeah. Knows. Yeah. And the, the best thing about recovery is that it, it's all the stuff that you, you know, is good and healthy, but it, it helps you to um, realize how urgent it is to, to, bring those things into your life, you know, to be real, to be the real you, to be the best you, to not, not sit back and just endure your own misery and loneliness and suffering (laughs) because it's so urgent when you're an addict, you can't do that or else you, you, you could die. You know, you've got to, you've really got to try to be the best you uh, in order to stay clean and sober and be happy. You have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's those, those kinds of principles are good for everybody. Yeah. 
Well, Dr. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. I really appreciate your time and your stories, and I love Certainly. catching up. My pleasure. Great to talk to you guys. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.